2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? Welcome to the show. We got a great show planned for you. Uh, going to be talking about how to get the uh, spark back. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to talk just very quickly about monkeypox. There's a lot of misinformation going on going on around there, um, and. Also um, some misinterpretations of what we're looking at and what we're up against. So this is all information coming from the World Health Organization. So um, I have to present the facts as they are, and then you as intelligent adults decide what you do with that. a lot of interesting debate as to whether or not it's an sexually transmitted disease. I think that's the least important part of all of this. Call it an STD if you want. Don't call it an STD. What we really need to talk about is prevention and how to stop the spread of it. Um, the reason why a lot of people are saying it is not an STD is because they don't want people to think that as long as I'm only having sex with my monogamous partner or if I'm you know, um, not hooking up, then I'm protected. And, and you're not because it is transmitted in ways that aren't sexually based. And that's the importance of that distinction. But again, not what we should be getting hung up on um, because STDs are usually a a, a diagnostic term that is applied to things that are only transmitted through sexual body fluids. Um, And monkeypox is uh, passed along through contact, bodily contact. And so it could be, you know, shirtless dancing with somebody. So the World Health Organization is zeroing in, especially on the LGBTQIA community because that's where we're seeing the numbers rise, Uh, but it is not a quote unquote gay only issue and it is not just a sex-based issue, although it occurs in higher frequency with sexuality because you're coming in more contact with someone's body and the possibility of infection. But it is not being seen as an STD, again, because the takeaway is it can be transmitted in non sexual ways. So we are all at risk. And that is why a lot of people are wanting it to be really known as not an STD. The World Health Organization is um, saying that we need to be very thoughtful about new sexual partners. And, um, you know, here's my takeaways the best way to protect yourself is to continue to learn about the virus and to understand how it is transmitted, also to monitor yourself for symptoms, and if you see them, to contact medical assistance. So what is it we're looking for? Well, we're looking for skin eruptions. Um, And that usually begins, the World Health Organization says, within one to three days of appearance of a fever. So we're looking at a rash, and the rash tends to be, and I'm using words like tends to be, more concentrated on the face And extremities. 95% of the cases, it affects the face. So we do wanna pay attention to our own faces and the faces of potential sexual partners. But again, because it's not only transmitted through sexual contact, we do wanna pay attention to the faces of those that we're laying up against or coming in contact with. Uh, Palms of the hands and soles of the feet is in about 75% of the cases. Um, And then oral mucous membranes, 70% of the cases. And here we go. Here's the bigger point genitalia, only about 30. So we're looking for the rash, which is, um, well, yeah, Google the photos. I'm going to just kind of leave you at that one. And so we're paying attention to that. We're checking ourselves for that because, again, we should be limiting the number of our sexual partners because that reduces the contact we're going to come with other people's bodies, considering new partners. And, again, if you're going to be having sex with others, exchanging details so you can follow up if you've come in contact or, more importantly, diagnosis positive and you can circle back and reach out to others. So we're going to keep talking about it um, you know, do the research, get vaccinated. If you can, there it is. All right, y'all, uh, we're going to be talking about how to bring the spark back. This is something that's important. It's probably among the top three things that come into my office with patients that are looking to do couples or sex therapy. They're saying, Oh my God, (laughs) what happened? So, you know, the, the loss or decrease in sexuality or sexual energy is something you might notice longer into the relationship. So there's two things to consider. How things were in the beginning is not necessarily a good baseline or determinant for how it will be down the road. Because in the beginning, you might be drinking a lot of cocktails. Who knows, our inhibitions are down. We are operating off of you know the novelty and newness, which is highly arousing and very motivating. So it's not a good baseline. If sexual energy was never there in the beginning, yes, that is more of a red flag than it having been there and then decreasing because that is a normal stage and expectation. But it it never having been there is not necessarily a good sign. So we're gonna be talking more about those who did have it in the beginning and it slowly quieted down or disappeared. For those that never maybe had a lot of erotic energy, that is a separate topic. Um, that we'll talk about on uh, on another show because maybe you just aren't sexually compatible. Maybe you are not attracted and a host of other issues. So again, we're looking at the couples that had some energy in the beginning and it's quietly dissipated. So how do we get that spark back? Ready for my obnoxious headline? Don't ever let it go. I know, if only it was that easy. But there is something in that statement that I want you to hold on to. We're gonna talk about it from the perspective of the fact that we did let it go, but don't let it. How do we do that? By always prioritizing sexuality. We have sexual romantic partners for that. (laughs) We're not looking for friends here, folks. So if you're in a romantic relationship, remember to prioritize the romance and never let it drift. Always keep it prioritized. Stick around. We're going to talk more about it. And then we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's where you put all that good stuff. Also questions, topics, all that. Um, Stick around, though. Got more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll
0: be right back. Don't go anywhere. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
1: shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
3: all right y'all we're back and we're talking about how to bring that spark back and this is for couples who had it initially and then it's decreased or dropped off uh, don't ever let it go I know end of show that's all I gotta say don't ever let it go uh, but prioritize it as I was saying in the earlier segment um, your romantic partner is there for romance and I've talked about this on the show many times stay in the stages of courtship because this is your romantic partner keep romance on the table we need to engage in what I call daily acts the best way to keep sex a priority and to keep it frequent is to start your relationship hot and heavy so Build it in from the door, make that a, a a priority and a foundational part of your relationship again, because if this is your romantic sexual partner, that should be in the forefront. That is why I will always advocate for having sex with your partner before you make any commitment because you need to understand what kind of sexual compatibility you have or don't have. So you can decide if this is the person that should be your romantic partner and if you're wanting monogamy, then it is absolutely mandatory that that is assessed. I, I advocate that all the time. It is awesome to go to lots of dinners and walks and, and focus on the psychological and emotional compatibility, but that does not give us any understanding of what eroticism will be like. And just because you find each other attractive, just because you enjoy the conversations does not mean you are sexually or erotically compatible period. And if this is going to be your one and only sexual outlet, you better assess that as soon as possible. If you have sex right away and there are other things that are meaningful and interesting and dynamic between the two of you, you will see each other again. And if not, good to know and get it out of the way that it was just sexual energy driving your interest. Find out, get it out of the way, build from there. Because those that are looking for long-term serious commitment, please know that you can start from any entry point conversation, sexuality, at some point you have to assess all the above start wherever you want, but you have to explore all the above because they are separate forms of compatibility. So again, prioritize it from the door, find out what it is like when the two of you come together how often, how much, what kinds, because sexual compatibility is a, is a very big, diverse constellation of a lot of different factors. It is about what we like. It is about how often we like it. It is about how much intimacy we like during it lights on, lights off, close on, close off. It's it's about how much of our bodies we are confident to use or not use. All of our stuff is in our eroticism, our trauma, our self-esteem, our body esteem, our sexual confidence, our intimacy capacities or lack thereof. All of it is wound up in there. And that is a beautiful place to find out about a partner and about you and them as a relational unit. Please do not illegitimize sex as though it is no big deal and it doesn't matter and it'll just figure itself out. No, it won't, which is why I have a job as a sex therapist, because it absolutely does not go that way. And it is heartbreaking to work with couples who never had sexual compatibility and just somehow thought we're going to ignore it. Well, I promise you, we know from the studies that the long-term happy couples prioritize and have a lot of sexual energy and sexual compatibility relationships that are built on more of a friendship style where they never had that or, or don't have it they have a lower level of satisfaction not surprising because they're missing out on this one bridge or this one transition or this one resource for connection for intimacy and also joy and pleasure what a bummer to be monogamous if that's your choice And to realize I'm never going to have access to fun, hot fun, to fun and hot sex, that is heartbreaking and no, it is not possible to just build it in with anyone. I can only work with what is already there. I can help make it better, but I can only work off of what's already established. I'm happy I cannot create sexual chemistry between people that don't have it. And anyone that tells you they can create that is lying to you. There's no treatment or intervention that we are aware of or have access to that can create sexual energy, desire, or attraction that doesn't already exist for a partner. We cannot happily make you attracted to someone you're not. We know that from conversion therapy. We can't make someone who's attracted to the same gender turned on by the opposite gender. Cannot be done, but if you and your partner already have a little bit of those basics, we can capitalize on that. Just like I can't make you like someone that you don't like. But if you had a friendship and things aren't going well, we can get back on track. We can find ways to amplify, kind of like a meal. If the meal just stinks, it stinks. And all the spices and sauces in the world will not make a crappy meal delicious. But if at its core it's got all the necessary components and ingredients and they work well together, we can work with that by adding the spices and bringing different flavors out. Sexuality is the same way. So please, please, please explore that. Also, if that spark is gone, We already talked about not letting it go. And that again is by staying in those stages of courtship, always attracting your partner, always flirting with your partner, always romancing your partner, always trying to keep that eroticism front and center. I tell my clients daily acts, if this is your romantic partner, every single day find a way to connect to them on that level to keep that prioritized. Then we wanna move into communication. Talk about the fact that you miss eroticism. Talk about the fact that you want that to be more of a priority again. Discuss the fact that you miss sex. Explore with your partner why it may have disappeared or why it may, become, may have become boring. We have to be able to talk about it. If we can't talk about this, I'm worried about the other things that are important that you can't talk about. If this is your partner romantically, if this is your monogamous partner, you have to be able to talk about eroticism. Start small. If it's new to you, build up to it but this discussion may be awkward, may be uncomfortable, may bring out things you don't wanna hear, but it's a sign of care. It's a sign of commitment. It is trust building because you're bringing it to each other versus taking it outward and elsewhere. If you're in an open relationship or your poly, it's less of a, it's less of an issue because you have other outlets and you can take all these different pieces together and get all your needs met. But for the most chosen style, which is monogamy, that is your only outlet. That is your only partner. You got to find a way to make it work so again don't let it go is the first point and then talk about it use this topic as a way to be able to tolerate more vulnerable deeper kinds of conversations all right we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about how to get that spark back um, but later we'll be doing some DMs. So if you've got a question for us, topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back to, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge post, re-listen and share. Stick around, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about how to bring back that sexual energy. Maybe things have tapered off. Maybe things have gotten... They're less prioritized. Maybe things have gotten boring even. So the first thing is try to not ever let it go. Keep it online. The further we go from it, the harder it is sometimes to get back to it. It becomes a little more fragile, a little more vulnerable. Then we were talking about the fact that you need to be able to talk about it. You need to be able to talk about a lot of things, and this is one of them. If you miss sex, talk about why it's gone. Talk about the fact that you want it back. Be on the same team. We're not against each other. We're on the same team. You have to talk about it collaboratively. Right? looking for a solution so talk about why it might become boring um might be hard might be uncomfortable might be awkward but this is a sign of care this is a sign of investment and this is a sign of trust and commitment so see it that way don't be offended if your partner comes to you saying hey let's reprioritize that um you also have to commit to it commit to making the time commit to reserving the energy that is the key point here we we You often deplete ourselves all day long at work and then we come home we have very little energy left over and we have to use that to like maybe shower change eat whatever it is anything we are doing later at night in our lives um date night sex family time requires energy that's why i'm always advocating for us not living in burnout so we have energy for other important things so give your day 70 percent. come home early prioritize your family prioritize your partner but commit to sex Every couple should have at least a date night built in and a few quickies where it's five to 12 minutes, a couple times a week where you just sit down, maybe after work, maybe after dinner, and you just kind of look at each other, no phones, no television. You're like, Hey, how are you? Tell me about your day. And we're not really talking about work. We're not talking about the kids. We're just talking about us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we daydreamed about, what we want. And sometimes we can build in short form sexuality because sex should be able to be quickies and then longer, more playful experiences. Those are usually the two ways I frame it. Quickies, where it's just about enjoyment, just about getting off, just about some quick time together. And then there's the more drawn out where we just, it's playful. It's fun. We have no goal. We're enjoying each other, but commit to it. You have to make time and reserve energy for it. It's not going to just find its way in. And we prioritize so many things in our lives. This should also be prioritized if it's important to you. And if it's not, cool, do you. I'm just saying for those that want this to stay important or want to get back to that, you have to build it in. You have to schedule it in. So prioritize sex, prioritizing sex is prioritizing your relationship with your partner. It's an investment. It's again, an act of care. It's an act of um, commitment. And again, as always, if you're not willing or interested in doing these things, maybe own that, maybe say to your partner, part of the problem is it's not important to me. Um, Or part of the problem is we're not getting along because sometimes that's that's some of it, you know? You got to have that core sense of like care and friendship. If you're not getting along, it's very clear and very understandable that this is something that can't be on the table. So the expectation is that you've worked through that general relational conflict or struggle so that this is something you feel safe or interested in doing. And if not, you know, check in on that. Um, Again, I always advocate for couples every couple months or at least once a year sitting down saying like, how's this past year been? What do we need to be working on? What does the relationship need from us? Um, And then we go back to what I said earlier. You know, one of the most important gems I drop is to eroticize your partner on a daily basis. Um, That helps prevent the disappearance of sex. And every single day, engage engage in something sensual, romantic, sexual, keeps that dynamic going. And there's so many ways to do that. Leave a note, sex, have sex, flirt, touch, talk dirty, kiss. It's just about doing something that acknowledges your partner, you know, and it keeps it front and center, it keeps it accessible. Because the longer it goes, the harder it is to get back to that because there's a lot of vulnerability built into this. Um, but it's gonna require that honesty. And sometimes, and this is kind of like hard for some couples to hear, the sex isn't worth wanting. It's the reason why we're not doing it is because it stinks. It's not fun. It's boring. And so that means you have to start to talk about how can we shake it up because a lot of people do it in the same ways at the same time in the same place and we fall into patterns and habits out of comfort out of laziness that makes things less interesting and really, really boring. And so sometimes we have to really talk about what are the things we'd love to be doing? What are the things we've always wanted to do? What do we miss doing? um, What are all the different ways that we can just kind of switch this up or change this up a little bit? Because again, anything that becomes familiar and uh, patterned habit, a habit is going to have a small return in terms of pleasure. It's why we don't eat the same food every night, although some people do. It's why we don't watch the same TV show every night, although some people do. so why we don't listen to the same songs. You know, we generally try to seek some kind of a newness and novelty. However, some people do like those patterns and habits, and then, you know, this wouldn't be relatable to you, and that's okay. But for those that do want to kind of shift it up, those are some of the things to think about. Um, Because again, like I said, the long-term studies show that couples that have access to eroticism have longer-term reports of happiness versus the more companionate style, which not so much. Um, So again, I think there's a lot of learning in this about our bodies, about ourselves, about our relationship, all that. All right, coming up next, we're going to do some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back to, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And past episodes of the show is always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down there for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Oh, Rachel, we are back. and Now it's time to slide into those DMs.
1: Sliding into the DMs.
3: All right, this one says, "Hey, Dr. Chris, I'm adopted. My birth mom was on a dr- was on dr- uh, my, ber- uh, my birth mom was on drugs with my brother and I, and we ended up being taken away at a really young age. Heartbreaking. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I felt that. Uh, we're both fully functioning adults, have jobs, homes. We're doing great." Uh, my entire life, I've stayed away from drugs, alcohol. I'm okay with because I know my limits and I make sure that I'm surrounded by good people. If I do decide to drink. However, recently my friends have been talking about how they want to take a trip and do some drugs, mostly mushrooms. I've stayed away my whole life due to the fear of becoming dependent because it's in my blood. guess my question to you is, is that even a real thing? Am I more susceptible knowing that my mom and dad were addicts? Um, can you even get addicted to things like mushrooms? Um, so this is, this is the evolving theory on addiction. Uh, we see it as something that's an attachment injury. We know that the gateway to drug use and addiction is trauma. Um, so, it's, so no, it's not in your blood. Uh, just because a family member has uh, had trauma and attachment issues and has turned to drugs and alcohol as a way to cope, that doesn't mean that that will be what you'll choose to do. And the reason why we have a lot of family members that might have addiction issues uh, and their parents as well is it's more born out of the fact that those parents still weren't able to do the healing work and stop the intergenerational transmission of faulty coping mechanisms and dysregulation and attachment issues. And that's why it's getting perpetuated in families. It's not that it's genetic. The genetic issue might lead to some behavioral stuff that again leads to relational insecurity, um, dysregulation and again we turn to drugs and alcohol to cope but sometimes they turn to other things to cope or they have post-traumatic growth and they grow beyond. So my point is, is we know addiction is not a disease. Um, it is not necessarily genetic in the way that people see it to be. It's resolved if uh, you know parents that had addiction issues really do the work, heal their attachment stuff you know, raise children that have better coping mechanisms, understand how to regulate and see relationships as a source of safety so that they turn to people and healthier things as a result, instead of, I should say, turning to drugs, alcohol, um, or whatever else might feel kind of problematic. All that to say, if you're a high functioning person, Um, and you have better coping mechanisms, of course you could theoretically go to the desert and in a safe context, checking the drug's quality, making sure you're looking out for yourselves, of course you could use. And the psychedelics tend to not be something that we see a lot of addiction around. Um, that doesn't mean someone can't become psychologically emotionally dependent on something. They can become emotionally psychologically dependent on, on anything. Uh, but in the context of what I'm hearing, it theoretically seems as though all should be okay. Um, it's not. There's no such thing as like once a something always a something because everything's more nuanced and, com- and complex than that. And if you've, you know, found other coping mechanisms and you're not dysregulated, um, and drugs and alcohol aren't something that operates in that way for you, then yes. Um, so i'm not signing off on anything (laughs) this is just you know what i mean you have to talk to your own healthcare professionals your own therapist to make all these decisions for yourself but theoretically speaking um all all should be okay um and that's a complicated thing and i don't always know that it's i i don't think it's always worth the risk and that's a personal decision Um, I've worked with clients that, you know, again, once resolving trauma and their attachment issues have been able to then start drinking or using drugs like an adult. Cause remember 90% of people that use drugs and alcohol do not have a problem. It's only about 10% of the people that would meet what we call the criteria for addiction. And again, those are people who have unresolved trauma, which is the gateway to drugs, uh, which is the gateway to addiction. Marijuana is not, we used to think things like that it's trauma. And if you've done the trauma work and, and the attachment work, Then we have better coping mechanisms and we can have a healthier relationship but i don't always think it's worth the risk because what we're also up against is that drugs and alcohol really take our executive functioning offline and they put us into a a mental state that doesn't allow us to have our judgment and our executive functioning and boundaries intact so you're taking something that removes what it is that helps you keep yourself safe judgment and executive functioning, decision making, impulse control and boundaries. So we always will expect when under the influence of something that you will be under the influence of something and not really connected to your higher self. So that though, doesn't mean that if something happens, that's problematic, that it was a result of addiction, it might have been the outcome of having been under the influence of something. But healthy adults don't keep taking something if while under the influence, it leads to problems, they realize it's not worth it, I can live a great life without drugs or alcohol. So it's complicated. All right, we got to We gotta we'll be back. You stick around, y'all. You're listening to Love Lion with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all. We're back. Kind of opened the show talking about monkeypox, talking about then how to lose or how to not lose the sexual spark. Now we're talking about some um common myths about stds stis a lot of misinformation out there first thing i want to point out is that when we talk about sexually transmitted diseases i think we sometimes only focus on the physical and that's important but i also want us to talk about the psychological and emotional you know every time we have sex with someone we walk away feeling better about sex in general better around human beings better about our bodies or worse off and so there is a component about sexual health and wellness that has to involve compassion And also, of course, consent. You know, we wanna have sex with people that wanna have sex with us, but we also wanna consider the impact it's gonna have. And if it's gonna leave one or both of us feeling bad or worse off, that's not part of sexual health and wellness. We're ignoring the psychological and emotional impacts. So it's not enough to be like, yeah, well, we're down for it. It's like, okay, but let's consider the wider ramifications of what we're about to do. And there's a lot that comes into that. Is this person in a monogamous relationship and I'm helping them damage that person or that relationship by cheating? Not cool. Is this person thinking that there's more to our relationship than there is and this is going to confuse them? That's not part of sexual health and wellness? Um, Is this gonna have negative impacts that we haven't really vocalized outwardly, but we're aware of? Like, I want us to pay attention to that. How is this going to impact me and my partner emotionally? Because we are responsible for the impact we have on other people. It's not enough that people are down for something. I want us to also add compassion to consent. Yes is awesome enthusiastically, but then I also want us to look at what is this gonna mean beyond that? That piece is really important, I think we ignore that. Um, Another thing with STDs and STIs is that that is something that can happen to anyone. It's not about being quote unquote promiscuous or hypersexual, it can happen from having your one and only partner, and that's why I always advocate for starting relationships off by getting tested, to normalize testing with you and in your relationship. Um, We never know What might be going on with us if we haven't gotten tested? Because there are a lot of STDs and STIs that might not lead to you being symptomatic. You might not be aware that you are infected and able to transmit something to someone. And so it isn't just something that is on the shoulders of those that have a lot of sexual partners. Um, The reality is you only need one partner. It can happen the first time. It's like pregnancy. It only takes one time. Um, so don't think it's only, you know, testing for people that are hypersexual or quote unquote slutty or whatever the ways are we try to distance ourselves from it. This is something everyone has to think about and pay attention to. If you're going to be a sexual being, this is part of it. And if you're not confident or willing to ask your sexual partners, Hey, when's last time you got tested? What might I be coming in contact with? Um, then you're not really mature enough or confident enough to be having sex. That's a question we have to be open and willing to ask, but also be open and willing to be asked, ask it of someone and to be asked it by someone. And someone asking you to do that shouldn't be something that we feel stigmatized by. We should be asking all partners about that. So don't be offended if someone says, Hey, when's the last time you were tested? It's not okay to be like, Oh, what are you slut shaming me? No, I'm being an adult and I'm focusing on my sexual health and wellness. And I asked that of all my partners, you should say. So be willing to ask that, be willing to be asked that. Some people find that so objectionable or so offensive. Um, It is an important part. Uh, We want to be informed. We want to know what we're coming in contact with. We want to know how to protect ourselves. Uh, So entering a relationship, we should do that. If you're someone who's uh, very sexually active, you should be doing that. Um, And it also, the caveat to that is don't assume that someone's going to tell you, you need to be responsible for yourself and ask. Having said that, I am gonna tell those that are aware that they have a current STD or STI, you are responsible in my mind for disclosing that. We are responsible for how we impact other people. So please disclose, but I want also people to ask. The responsibility is on all parties to ask and to disclose. Don't make any assumptions um, on either end, because I've had clients say that. Well, I didn't have a lot of sexual partners or I was only with one person. I'm like, oh my God. That is not a protective mechanism. (laughs) Um, There's also an idea that maybe you can't get something more than once. Oh, you absolutely can. Um, Just because you got treatment doesn't mean it isn't something that you can get reinfected with. Absolutely possible. Um, And some STDs and STIs can have multiple strains. Um, And that's why, again, we are asking questions. We are getting tested um, and we're normalizing it because no one should have any shame around having an STD or an STI. When we come back, we'll talk more about the shame piece because, again, we all can be a part of destigmatizing. Um, we'll get into that. Uh, DMs. Open on our Loveline at G page. I've got a question for us. Drop it in there. Something you want us to hit. Circle back to topically. Why you get your needs met? Helping other people out as you're getting them met. So uh, drop it in there. Always anonymous. Always confidential. Past episodes of the show. Go back and listen because we're trying to unlearn and then relearn things. It's all about repetition because the quality of your practice is the quality of your life and the quality of your mental health. We got to be working on all these different things. So go to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Tons of good stuff over there. You can take it on a hike. You could take it on a walk, listen to it in your drive. We want to kind of fill our brains with the positive messaging, build ourselves up that way. Um, just like they say, your body's made from what you eat, your brain's made from, you know, the environments and the things you put yourself around. Stick around, though. More to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, so we're back, and we're talking about STDs, STIs, things that are sexually transmitted, um, and... Um, we were talking about the fact that we need to remove the stigma. You know, it's always wild how you can get the flu or a cold and you're gonna be knocked out for a few days and you're gonna be, you know, having the runs and snot coming out of your nose and you're coughing and you're a mess. No one shames you for that and says you're gross. They're like, Okay, we don't wanna catch it, but like but if you get something that was transmitted through sex, we're like, Oh my god, you're gross and you're slutty and you're dirty and it's like, wait a second. Most STDs and STIs are cured with a shot and a pill and you're good to go in three to five days with no noticeable symptoms that you can give to your office members or your office mates or your colleagues or whatever. But the flu and colds, which you can give to anyone around you, has disgusting symptoms that we can see and you're knocked out for days that that we normalize and that's okay but like something sexually transmitted is especially heinous like the issue is with sex uh, you know again i'd be more worried of doorknobs babies and airplanes because it'll give you a colder the flu which will knock you out with gross symptoms for a while be more worried about that than stds and stis because the bulk of them are curable Again, with a pill and a shot, and you're back to life, very simply, and you're not walking around with noticeable noticeable symptoms, which can impact all those around you. We really have that backwards. I don't want anyone shamed, but if we're going to shame someone, worry about the people that are sneezing and their eyes are watering, that's worse. Um, It's kind of wild. And we're also moving away from saying things like, are you clean? Someone having an STD or STI isn't dirty. It isn't about clean or dirty. It's just, have you been tested? And what am I maybe coming in contact with talking about it, normalizing it and getting treatment period. It shouldn't be something that people have to feel bad about, but they do. Even the ones that we don't have a cure for are still very manageable with medication, with barriers and with open and honest communication. But people aren't going to comfortably and confidently disclose if they're going to be shamed. And that's part of the problem. If we can normalize and understand that that's part of life, And that you get more from kissing your aunt and grandmother because that's where herpes can also come from. Um, And we look at the numbers of people that are constantly coming in contact with that from just general kissing. It really starts to shift our relationship to other bodies. So let's kind of like cool down on the shaming. Everyone has the possibility of coming in contact with. And if you're sexually active, you probably already have. So we got to kind of normalize that. No one should have to feel undesirable, unlovable, or undateable because of an incurable or curable STD or STI. That is just part of life. Um, Everyone's coming in contact with that. Uh, And the more we can talk about it and destigmatize it, the more people can really prevent its transmission and talk about what's possible and, again, protective measures. Um, Another myth is that Everything's symptomatic and that you can tell by looking at someone. You can't tell by looking at someone whether or not they have an STD or STI. And a lot of them are asymptomatic. Or the symptoms might look like other things like razor burn, irritation, and you might not know. So also, just because you're not having an outbreak doesn't mean you can't transmit it. For instance, if you have herpes and you don't have a current outbreak and there's no symptoms, you can still transmit it. And that is why we have to be able to talk about and disclose that. It can still get passed along even without symptoms even without being able to see anything we want to be able to talk about that um so know that you cannot tell by looking at them Um, it's not about how healthy they are it's not about how healthy they look it's not about how many sex partners they have had or continue to have that is not necessarily the best way to assess this the best way is to get tested and to destigmatize and to talk about it um And also, remember, there aren't, yes, some behaviors set us up for a higher risk, but all contact with another person's body sets us up for the possibility of contracting a bacteria or a viral infection of some kind. Like I said, the flu or something more sexually based. But every single time, every time we leave the house, we're coming in contact with the possibility of that. Touching a busy business's doorknob, being on an airplane with that recycled air, being around sick babies, all also has the potential of passing along to us a bacterial or viral infection. It is part of living in the world, but there are a lot of barrier methods that we can look into and we'll talk about that on another show. This isn't so much about prevention as much as it is about dispelling some of the myths because myths and misinformation and fear are what perpetuate and create a lot of these problems. And so, yes, I'm trying to normalize it. I'm trying to crank down the fear and the intensity because STDs are very common. Many have very mild symptoms only. Um, and they're very common. So anyone who's sexually active has the possibility of coming in contact with. Um, and many are very curable. And so we, we do have to stop shaming people. Um, we have a couple interesting facts that I think are kind of interesting. Um, so let's see. One of the interesting ones that I think is important also is that they're on the rise among older adults. And a lot of that is because somehow people magically think older people don't have sex or older people, uh, can't get STDs, STIs, and they can, they do, and they can. And so we do want to talk to people at their entire lifespan about sexual health and wellness practices, protection, and also precautions and also ways to really talk about this. This is not a younger person's issue only. And, um, yeah, we wanna normalize it for everyone. Eroticism, hopefully, is a part of everyone's journey from birth to death. Um, well, not birth, but you know, <laughs> age, of, age of consent to death. Uh, but yeah, older Americans, older adults, I should say, it's on the rise, because again, we tend to de-eroticize um, ourselves and others as we get older. Um, and that, that leads to not having these honest discussions or actually learning about what's possible and keeping up to date. It's all about the information. Um, all right, we're going to come back, talk more about that and they'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline, IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to hit circle back to. And as I always say, we are channel is where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. Stick around though. We got more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back talking about some STD and STI sexually transmitted diseases and infections myths and facts. Love this one. Condoms, 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 condoms. Condoms are awesome. They do not protect you from everything because condoms don't cover your entire body or your entire genital region. And skin-to-skin contact is how some are transmitted. So remember, it's really great for protecting people from pregnancy. It protects from some STD and STIs. It is not covering all of them. And when we talk about things like HIV, it uh, things like PrEP, which is a pill you take every day or on demand with a certain protocol, um, that has a higher efficacy rate protecting you from HIV transmission than condoms do. We've got to understand the information. Uh, condoms are effective, but they're not 100%. Um, and things like herpes, genital warts, those are spread skin to skin, and the condom does not cover your entire lower area. So if you're sexually active, you you want to think about this. We need to, We need to ask questions. We can use the protective measures we have. But we talk about safer sex because no... No human contact is completely safe from the flu, from getting a cold or getting an STD or STI. That is what happens. So we talk about how to have it safer, but no sex is 100% safe. Just like holding hands isn't 100% or kissing, we can transmit things from hand to hand and give someone the flu or the cold. I'm always touching my face, so I don't wanna hold someone else's hands. I'm always very thoughtful about what I'm touching and washing my hands. Um, so pay attention to that. And just like we used to think teens and young adults are the more likely ones to have STDs and STIs, no, teens and young adults are at higher risk, but that's often because they don't have access to protective mechanisms. They don't feel confident asking for them and they don't have the right information, but throughout our entire lives, if we're sexually active, we have the possibility as we kind of talked about older adults actually being on the rise, um, Interesting things, though, I love this one about, you know, uh, pools or baths or whatnot. Um, I've heard people say you you can't get an STD if you have sex in a shower or in a pool. Um, Any sexual contact with an infected person puts you at risk. It doesn't matter if you're in a pool or a hot tub. STDs are transmitted through vaginal, oral, anal, any kind of contact. So any exposure with genitalia or body fluids will put you at risk. So Hopping into the shower or hot tub does not protect you. So what I hope you're hearing over and over is that we have to hit it from multiple layers, not stigmatizing so people will feel comfortable asking and disclosing, not personalizing or being offended if someone asks because that is called being mature, looking at the research and following and believing in science and protecting ourselves to the best we can, but not having a lot of anxiety. We don't want to move through the world of anxiety. And the more we normalize these things, the less anxiety we'll all have in general. Sex is supposed to be fun. Sex is supposed to feel good. As I'm always advocating for it, there's no wrong way to do it. It's not always about genitals. It's not always about penetration. It's about fun. It's about pleasure. But by not talking about it confidently and openly, that's when we get in the weeds. That's why we talk about things like um the different uh, politics, or, or families, or religions that say you know don't do it till you're married. We know from the studies that come out of like research on purity culture, which is about waiting till you're married, that people that are told to delay sex, they 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 delay it, but they still have it before marriage, and they have higher rates of domestic violence, higher rates of sexual abuse, higher rates of teen pregnancy, and higher rates of STDs and STIs, because they don't feel confident talking about it, they don't even know how to talk about it, and they don't feel comfortable accessing protective mechanisms like condoms and prep, and they also aren't even aware of the research. So they get into more problems because education and knowledge don't don't uh, give permission, they protect, right? We talk about that all the time. Telling someone to wear a seatbelt if you're gonna drive isn't giving someone permission to drive recklessly or to be on their cell phone. It's just saying wear a seatbelt because things happen. Wearing a helmet when you ride a bike isn't permission to, to ride it recklessly either. It's just saying things happen so have protection. Same thing with sex, arming your kids or teens or whoever with the accurate information isn't in any way motivating or driving them towards making problematic decisions. In fact, it's the opposite, it's raising confidence. It's giving them the, the 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 words. It's kind of like we talk, we always say, talk to kids from a young age about good touch, bad touch, body boundaries, permission to be touched because We want them to understand right from wrong. We want them to understand how to advocate for themselves. We want them to know how to speak up confidently if something's happened. That isn't going to lead to more of it. In fact, it's going to protect against, especially when we look at the sexual assault numbers, which that usually happens from someone that the victim knows. It's not really something that comes from strangers. So we just want to be able to talk about things confidently. There's no reason why individuals should not be able to talk about sex, especially if you're about to have it. And if you're not, confident asking talking about then you're not really ready to have it um all right y'all that is that we're gonna come back and do some dms so as always if you got a dm drop it in the dms on our Energy page questions topics things you want us to hit things you want us to circle back to and we are channelq.com. It's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show you can scroll down look for loveline and click on it binge post relisten and share because we got to build in the right messaging because the world isn't going to give it to us. I think a lot of the work sometimes within this field is really calling out the myths and then bringing in more truth. So we all got to learn. We all got some, uh, sex educating to do, especially because the information changes sometimes. Anyway, stick around. We'll be back listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around.
2: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
0: Sliding into the DMs.
3: DMs come from our Loveline IG page. So if you've got a question for us, topic you want us to cover, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Isabella. And I'm noticing, sorry, I'm noticing that my friend Ali is super insecure. Long short story, long story short, sorry, <laughs> Isabella. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm reading this completely wild. Uh, my name is Isabella noticing my friend, Allie's super insecure. Long story short, Allie is a lesbian that has a long history of dating straight women. She'll go after women who have boyfriends or only had boyfriends in the past, get them to date her. And then it ends up not working out and they go back to dating men. (laughs) While sexuality is fluid and I understand this, she has a pattern. (laughs) She's recently met a new girl who has only dated men in the past, but this relationship seems to be really different. They're constantly fighting about men looking at the new girl. She accuses her of staring at guys too when they're out staring too long. And the other day, a male barista was talking to the group of us, we walked outside. This goes on and on. Um, Let me get to the the question. Um, I feel like she keeps putting herself in these positions to date women who tend to lean towards men. I also feel like she needs to stop putting her insecurities on her girlfriend. Um, How can I tell her all this but nicely? So that's your question, how do I tell her this? Um, I don't think you do. I say this all love my heart you mind your business Uh, because it doesn't seem like your friends open to hearing more that would be the best I can give you is to say to your friend hey I noticed you're having some difficulties with your girlfriend and I sometimes see some patterns are you open to me sharing with you what I see. You say it very lovingly like that. And if they say no, then the answer is no. And you move on with your life and you love your friend anyway, because friends are allowed to make mistakes and be difficult at times because nothing your friend is doing is negatively impacting you. Nothing your friend is doing is toxic for you. Nothing your friend is doing is inherently toxic for them either. It's just that they make their life maybe a little more complicated than you think it should be, but this might be where they're at in their journey. So you have to kind of let go and let be. Um, Because what you're also kind of saying is I'm not comfortable watching them do this and instead of me learning how to let go and let them live their life, I'd rather them change what they're doing and stop triggering me so I don't have to settle myself down. So I wanna change them. And it's like, no, you gotta change yourself. You have to make peace and accept that this is who they are and how they move through the world. Again, unless when you say to them, are you open to hearing more? Their response is maybe, sure, tell me. And then you can lovingly be like, hey, I see a pattern. And then you kind of bring in what you said. I think you put yourself in these situations by not dating lesbians. And then you could also say, um, be kinder to your partner. You know, whatever insecurities come up are for you to work on. Are, you know, when we're triggered, that shows us where our work is. The concept of being triggered isn't for us to point the finger at who triggered us or what triggered us and say, don't do that. It's for us to go, wow, that wound obviously exists because when that person did or said that thing, I felt something. And I have to work on that. And so you're also being given an opportunity to learn how to let your friends live their own lives and how to let go and how to not do what some people might call a little codependent. I don't use that word, but I think that's where some people would kind of apply that you're over-managing over, over managing someone else. You know, you're, you're taking too much responsibility because again, this happens. Um, but theoretically speaking, I don't know what's going on with your friend. I'd have to sit down and do more of an intake and an assessment to understand why they might, if your theory is correct, potentially always be going after someone who isn't, Um, really identifying or interested in being with women. It might be people who are curious or open to trying it. Um, I don't know, because remember, there is a distinction between sexual orientation and romantic orientation. And these women might be sexually bi or fluid and down for sex with all genders, but they might be only oriented romantically towards men. And that's why your friend is never able to pull it off because these women don't want romantic relationships with other women, but they're down for sexual relationships. That might be the only clarification that's needed. And then your friend has to realize, I need to find women that like to date women, not just women that want to have sex with women. So you can maybe even lovingly, bring up that topic of, again, the difference between sexual orientation and relational romantic orientation, because yes, they're often two separate things. For most of us, they're similar and aligned. And that's why we don't see them as two separate processes. But they are. See, we learn something every day. But um, yeah, mind your business. <laughs> Lovingly, that's my answer. Let your friend be where they are, you know? All right, y'all, if you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs. Always happy to hear from you. you want to check out past episodes? Go over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Love Line and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen and share. Uh, spend the rest of the night though, focusing on pleasure. Build in some joy and pleasure, whatever it is. It's Something to put a smile on your face. Tons of rest and self-care. We're working enough. And uh, join us tomorrow. We'll be back. More to come. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out. Enjoy the rest of your night. See you. Good night.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.